Jesus tells us in the Bible of the parable of a merchant looking for fine pearls, and how this is similar to finding the kingdom of heaven. When you find the kingdom of heaven, your salvation is like a precious pearl. There is nothing more valuable than security for your soul. Just as in the parable when the merchant found just one pearl, he sold all he had to purchase it. This is Precious Pearls Radio with Sister Dana Rankin. Jesus, Welcome to Precious Pearls Ministries Radio Podcast. My name is Sister Dana, and I'll be your speaker and host this hour. Thank you for tuning in on the Resilient Christian Radio Network. I'm so thankful for you tuning in each week and being so faithful to the Lord and to this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about God and fundamental doctrine. What I mean by fundamental doctrine is just the basics of what we believe and what we should know about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father God and also the Holy Spirit as well, which is three in one, the Godhead, as some call the Trinity. First, let us pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for keeping us safe, Lord. I pray for those families that are affected by the hurricane Florence, I ask that you continue to send aid over to them and help them to heal from the situation. For those that may have lost family members or loved ones, I pray that you send someone to comfort them and draw them closer to you at this time of bereavement. And Lord God, I thank you for all that you are doing in our lives, all that you have done with this ministry and all that you are continuing to do. I praise you and I thank you for everything, for you are worthy of all praise. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, first, um, I would like to say that a lot of times I've heard people say we don't really need doctrine. I think that's false because our foundation is on doctrine. We need to know the truth and we need to live and die by the truth if need be. Jesus died for us. We have to know what we believe. We have to be able to give a reason to every man who asks us why we believe what we believe. That's why I study so much. I have so many books and things on scripture because it's the most important thing that we can know in our lives. He is the most important person that we could ever know. And scripture is so vital for our spiritual lives. So we're going to start off in the beginning actually in the beginning. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, there are many atheists and people that are agnostic that don't believe in God. I think it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in God. Just to think that we all came together by some bang and everything is in working order in your body. You can see, you can hear You know, you can speak. How did this all come together without someone designing it? If you see a book, you know someone wrote the book. If you see a painting, you know someone wrote the painting. If you go into a room and there's chairs arranged in a row, you know someone did that. So how much more intricate are our bodies? So in the very first verse of the Bible, God makes known to us that he is the creator of all things. He makes it plain that we didn't come about by accident or so-called evolution. According to 
evolutionists, the stars created themselves and all living things, including you and me, and we got here by chance. A careful study of the facts of science will convince a reasonable person that the universe could not have created itself and that all living beings, including humans, could not have happened by chance or accident. They had to be created by God. True science is knowledge based on facts. There are no facts that prove evolution. There's only one answer to this great universe, to our earth, to man, and where he came from, and that is God. The Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Of course, it's impossible to demonstrate God's existence by means of our physical senses because God is not a physical being. But admitting our own existence and the existence of the universe, we must logically go one step further and admit the existence of God. It is absurd to think that the universe could evolve into being or create itself. Likewise, it is irrational to think that the first man created himself or accidentally evolved into a human being. The existence of the universe must have a cause, and the cause must be great enough to create the universe. Evolutionists believe that somehow or other, by chance over a period of billions of years, the universe evolved. Evolution is just a denial of God's existence. The theory of evolution gives us no cause for this gigantic and complex universe. The law of cause and effect requires that all things must have a cause. The law of cause and effect demonstrates the existence of God. Everything in the universe manifests organization and design from the smallest atom to the greatest star. Organized design implies purpose, and purpose proves the existence of God. The universe and everything in it was designed and created for a purpose. Think of the wonderful design of the human body and each of its parts, as I mentioned earlier. Everything in the universe, yes, even our own existence, proves the existence of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. The fact that God graciously provides for man's needs is manifested by the seasons, the rain, and the sunshine. God's goodness is not extended only to human beings, but even to the birds, fish, animals, and creeping things. All living creatures are recipients of the infinite benevolence of God. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, and Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 through 30. God is a spirit. 
the Bible teaches that God is a spirit. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verse 24. And I encourage you to please highlight these verses or underline them, mark them in your Bible so that you'll remember them as we refer back to them. God is one. I am the Lord and there is none else beside me. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 5. God is one in his being, yet there are three persons in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We cannot fully comprehend the Trinity because the Trinity involves the personality of the infinite God. There are some truths that are impossible for human beings to fully understand. One of these truths concerns the Trinity. There are three persons in the Godhead, and yet at the same time, God is one. This is a great truth which, which, we, which we must receive by faith. The doctrine of the Trinity is revealed in Christ's great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. The doctrine of the Trinity or Godhead is also taught in Paul's benedictory prayer. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 14. God is also eternal. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Psalm 90, verses 2 and 4. God never had a beginning, and neither will he have an ending. When there were no stars, sun, and moon, when there was no earth and no human beings, God existed. Fifty years seemed like a long time to us. It really, now I'm 52 and it does not. It seems like yesterday I had my first child, Siani, and she is now 23 years old. And I can remember everything about the day she was born and all. And time seems to go so fast, so fast. A person 100 years of age is considered to be a very old individual. However, 100 years to God is less than a moment of time. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years. That's Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. God never was young and he never will grow old. God always was and always will be. He is the eternal being. All who believe in Christ will live as long as God lives. Everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as personal Savior will live with Christ forever. God is also unchangeable. I am the Lord, I change not. That's in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 and that's the last book in the Old Testament. God is always the same. He is perfectly holy. He will never change his righteous character. God will never change his attitude of hatred towards sin. Since God is self-existent, he cannot change his nature. God did not create himself. His existence depends upon no cause. There is no power or enemy that can change God's nature. Man changes. He changes often in feelings, thoughts, ideas, plans, and purposes, but not God. 
If God's nature is subject to change, it would mean that God is not perfect. All that which is imperfect is in a state of change and development. There never was and never can be any change in the nature and character of God. God's perfect holiness was, is, and always will be the same. Because God is unchangeable, his law also is unchangeable. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4 is the unchangeable law of God. God must always punish sin and the penalty of sin is death. But God is love and his love is also unchangeable. God manifested his infinite love and at the same time his unchangeable attitude towards sin by sending his only son to die for our sins on the cross. God is also omnipresent. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. To God there is no right, left, up or down, behind, before, but all is here. There is no over there or nearby to God. Because God is omnipresent, his infinite being is always here. There is no place that God is not. God's works of creation and providence give evidence for his omnipresence. God rules over the entire universe and he must exist where he rules. How foolish men are when they think they can sin and get away with it. God watches every move they make, listens to every word they speak, and knows even the very thoughts and intents of their hearts. If we would always realize that God is present wherever we go, whatever we do, think, or say, it will cause us to live more pure and holy lives. God is love. The total sum of God's character is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. God's ultimate purpose in all his works is to enhance the highest well-being of all his creatures. Of course, human beings have the highest value of all God's creatures on this earth. Jesus said, Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Matthew chapter 10, verse 31. Only human beings are created with an eternal soul. God loves us with an infinite love. But someone may counter, if love truly loves us and seeks our happiness, if God, if God truly loves us and seeks our happiness, why is there so much unhappiness and misery in the world? The answer is that man has turned his back on God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. By nature, man is a rebel against God. The Apostle Paul, in speaking of himself and all believers in Christ, wrote, We all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. When we refuse to obey God's laws, the inevitable result is unhappiness and misery. It is only through faith in God and obedience to his laws that man can be truly happy. 
The greatest proof that God sincerely seeks the happiness of mankind is the fact that he sent his only begotten son to die as a sacrifice on the cross in behalf of the entire sinful human race. The reason why Christ died on the cross is because God is love and Jesus is God manifest in human flesh. God seeks the salvation of all human beings. He is not willing that any should perish and that includes you. If God was not loved, he would not have sent Jesus into the world to suffer and die on the cross. There is no sin greater than rebellion against God. By nature, we are totally corrupt. And if God treated us as we deserve, he could justly send every one of us to an eternal lake of fire. That is our just desert for our wickedness. The person who refuses to repent of his sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is rejecting the great and infinite love of God. Holiness. God is infinitely holy. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. And as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Holiness consists of obedience to God's laws, not just some of them, but all of his laws. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. James chapter 2, verse 10. The greatest law of God is to love God with all the heart, soul, and mind. The second law in order of importance is to love all other human beings as we love ourselves. Matthew chapter 22 verses 37 to 39. The Ten Commandments are a part of God's laws. Because God sincerely loves us, he requires that we obey his laws. God himself is infinitely holy and he requires us to be holy. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. If we do not obey God's laws, it is impossible for us to be happy. The consequence of disobedience is misery. Patience. God is very patient and long-suffering toward us, even though we have sinned and rebelled against him. If God were not long-suffering toward us, he would have sent us all to hell long ago because of our sins against him. The Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should come, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 Mercy Mercy is a distinguishing attribute of God's great love. It is the tenderness of heart on God's part to forgive your sins when we rep repent rather than carrying out the just gen punishment that we justly deserve. The Lord in his mercy treats us much better than we deserve. Instead of sending us to hell on condition of our sincere repentance, he shows compassion and removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Micah 7.18 Truthfulness. God is a God of truth. God cannot stand falsehood and lies. He is a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. Deuteronomy 32.4 2 times 2 equals 4. This is true and never can be changed.
Why? Because God made it so. Truth cannot be changed. Someone may say two times two equals five, but just saying so does not make it so. No matter what we may say, two times two is four. Telling lies will not change the truth. Only by accepting the truth as it is revealed in Christ can a man be saved. Happiness is the result of living according to God's truth. The Christ-rejecting sinner cannot be happy because God has put a conscience in his breast that will always convict him with an accusing finger saying, Christ is true, but you are a liar. Self-denial. Self-denial is an attribute of God's great love. God demonstrated his love by his self-denial in sending Jesus Christ to die for us. Think of Christ's self-denial. The Lord Jesus was with the Father in heaven, and the angels worshipped him, and yet he emptied himself and became a human being to die for our sins on the cross. Just how great is God's self-denial? A glimpse of his great self-denial can be portrayed by comparing ourselves as human beings to ants. Of course, in the scale of being, a human being is infinitely much more valuable than an ant. But suppose in order to save a large colony of ants from destruction, you could change yourself into an ant and then give your life as an ant in order to save the ant family. God is of infinitely greater worth than any human being, or for that matter, the entire human race combined. We are mere dust in the comparison to God, yet the second person of the Godhead became a human being and died a cruel death on the cross in order to bring salvation to the human race. What unspeakably wonderful self-denial. One of the greatest attributes of the love of God is self-denial. And the foundation of our faith that I mentioned earlier, like the doctrine and the foundation, is the scriptures. The foundation of our faith is the Bible that we are Christians believed to be the verbally inspired word of God. If the Bible is not true, then our faith is built upon a foundation of sand. In order that our faith might remain unchanged from generation unto generation, God gave us the scriptures. Through the centuries, Satan has made vicious attacks upon the Bible because of its infinite worth. As Christians, it is most important that we know why we believe the Bible to be the Word of God. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God because the Bible itself claims to be God's Word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto good, all good works. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Not just certain parts of the Bible, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word for inspiration in the Greek language is theonopsis. I probably mispronounced that. Theopneustos, which literally means God breathed. God breathed his spirit into the minds of the authors of the Bible in order that they might know the exact words to write. Every single word of the Bible is God-breathed. The scriptures declare that the authors of the Bible spoke and wrote as they did because they were moved upon by the Spirit of God, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men 
of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's 2 Peter 1, verses 20 to 21. Also, we believe at Precious Pearls Ministries that the Bible is to be the Word of God because the Lord Jesus gave testimony to the inspiration of the Scriptures. In his confrontation with the unbelieving Jews, Jesus stated the scripture cannot be broken. John chapter 35. By these words, Jesus meant that the scriptures are without error and of final authority in all matters. The great purpose of scripture is to reveal Jesus Christ and his salvation unto man. And beginning at Moses and all the other prophets, he expounded them to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Luke chapter 24, 27. Also, the Bible is the word of God because many of the prophecies that have been literally fulfilled. A large portion of scripture is history written before it actually occurred. In many instances in the scriptures, history was written centuries before it took place. This is especially true of the birth life, death, resurrection, and a new ascension. Through his prophets, God made many prophecies concerning the Jewish nation, which were literally fulfilled. God made prophecies concerning great countries, such as the destruction of Babylon, which were literally fulfilled. God prophesied that the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, should be destroyed. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken in Obadiah 18. Today, there is no descendant of Esau living on the earth. The Bible is the word of God because of the fact that the Bible is indestructible. In past history, God's enemies persecuted and killed Christians and burned all the Bibles they could find. Yet today, the Bible still stands as the world's bestseller. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falls away. But the word, we believe the Bible to be the word of God because of its wonderful unity. There are no contradictions or mistakes in the Bible. The Bible is composed of 66 different books. 40 different writers wrote these books over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages. In spite of this, there is not one single mistake. The Bible is one great unity of mind and thought. How can we explain such a miracle? God, by his spirit, breathed into the minds of the writers the words they should write. And also, the Bible has great transforming power. The word of God does. Literally millions of people all over the world from every race and nation have experienced a complete transformation of life through the message of the Bible. The Bible's influence upon the lives of men and women is greater than any other book in the world. Through the reading of the scriptures, men and women enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil have been transformed to a life of godliness and righteousness. How can we explain such phenomena? The Bible must be the word of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. First Peter 1, 2, 3. We believe the Bible to be the word of God because of its unsurpassed wonderful teachings. Surely there is no book in the world that teaches us how, teaches us such great truths about God, man's salvation and how man should live on this earth other than the scriptures.
This is true because God is the author of the Bible. Even small children can understand the great truths of the Bible pertaining to salvation. On the other hand, men with great intellects who have studied the Bible for many years give testimony that they have only begun to skim the surface of the wonderful truths of the Word of God. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and 34. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Whereas the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. We also believe the Bible, though very ancient, to be the word of God because it is applicable to our lives today. The Bible never grows old. It is practical for our lives no matter when we live. This is not true of other books. Many textbooks written several years ago are not usable today because the ideas found in these books are out of date or found to be false. This is not true as far as the Bible is concerned. In whatever age a man may live, the Bible still is his guide and light along the right. The gas and oil we obtain from earth is also very ancient. But who would be so foolish to say that because gas and oil are ancient, they're not suitable for use today? Ancient though we be, we use these fuels for multiple purposes such as transportation, heating, and cooking. Though the Bible is an ancient book, it enlightens our minds and regenerates our souls as God speaks to us through the scriptures. We believe the Bible to be the word of God because of the inward test witness as to the inspiration of the scriptures. But God hath revealed un them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 14. Many people of the world scoff at and ignore the word of God. They have never been born of the Holy Spirit. Only the person who is born of the Holy Spirit can understand and appreciate the teachings of the Bible. When the believer reads the Bible, it witnesses to his own spirit that it is truly the word of God. Have you ever met a born-again believer who said, I don't believe the Bible, or there are many mistakes in the Bible? No true born-again Christian would utter such words. The Holy Spirit who indwells every Christian also breathed into the minds of the writers of the Bible to write the very words of God. Therefore, the Spirit of God within us and the words of the Scripture unite together to give testimony to the inspiration of the Bible. As Christians, we ought to praise God every day of our lives for giving us such a wonderful gift and treasure as the Bible. 
Also, we must take great care that we do not neglect this precious gift, but meditate upon the words of Scripture daily and make it our aim to pattern our lives according to the doctrines of the Bible. Our experience ought to be the same as the psalmist David who said, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119.97 Again, he exclaimed, How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yeah, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119.103 And man was created in the image of God. We didn't evolve. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all. Man was created with a sense of knowledge of his own existence, feelings, mental state, or the thoughts that pass through his mind. We know that we exist and in our existence we experience various kinds of emotions. Sometimes we feel anger and at other times feel sadness fear, anger, love, hate, joyfulness, hope, peace of mind, tranquility. Under various circumstances in life, we all have experienced these emotions and feelings. The Bible portrays God as a conscious being who knows what pa passes through his infinite mind. God is angry with men who persist in sinning. God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7 Verse 11, God rejoices when sinners repent of their sins. I say unto you that likewise, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Luke 15, 7, man was created with the ability to think. God is infinite in knowledge and he knows all things past, present, and future. Though man is finite, he has a great potential for increasing his knowledge because he is created in the likeness of God. God created man with the power to choose between right and wrong, his free will. Every man or woman has the ability to understand right from wrong and is fully responsible for his or her own decisions. God possesses free will. He is not some sort of mechanical robot in the sky. He determines all his actions according to his infinite wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, all God's purposes are wise and good. God has created man with a spiritual nature, which means he has the capacity of knowing and loving God. Of all God's earthly creation, only human beings have a spiritual nature. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, the fall of man. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took off of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The important question is, how were the first man and woman able to commit sin in the first place? 
Were not Adam and Eve created in the likeness of God? Did they not have a perfect body, mind, and spiritual nature? In spite of the fact that they were perfect in body and soul, they committed sin. How did Adam and Eve sin? This is a vital question. When we understand the reason for Adam and Eve's disobedience, we also will know why the rest of the human race, including ourselves, have sinned. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, they were in a state of innocence. They knew neither good or evil. It was not part of their experience. But then God enlightened their minds as to what they could and could not do. They had no human parents, and therefore God himself had to teach them what was right and what was wrong. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Genesis 2, verses 17 to 18. Adam and Eve had perfect minds and understood God's command concerning what they were permitted to do and not permitted to do. Both had a free will, were not under any coercion or force to break God's commandment out of necessity. As moral beings, Adam and Eve possessed free wills, and it was their duty to obey God at all times. However, it wasn't long before they came face to face with temptation. What is temptation? Temptation is an enticement to do evil, or in other words, it is a form of allurement to disobey God. Like Adam and Eve, we all meet temptations to do wrong. As human beings, we are daily exposed to temperatures. They are unavoidable, but this does not mean that we must necessarily yield to temptation and commit sin. Temptation gains access to our minds in three different forms. First, Satan is an occasion of temptation. Satan, the great enemy of God, came into the Garden of Eden and persuasively tempted Eve by telling lies to her. Satan, disguised as a serpent, said to Eve, you shall not surely die, Genesis 3-4. This was a lie. It was the very opposite of what God said. Thou shalt surely die, Genesis 2-17. Also, Satan attacked God's moral character by saying, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3 5. However, there was no excuse for Eve to listen to Satan's lies. Eve possessed a perfect mind and knew the character of God to be infinitely good. She understood that whatever God told her was true and that God would not lie to her. Second, temptation gains access to us by means of our mind and body. Adam and Eve's mind and body was not in itself sinful. Having been directly created by the hand of God, they had perfect minds and bodies. However, their minds and bodies were occasions of temptation. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. Eve's feelings and desires were aroused by Satan's subtle words and by her gazing upon the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yielding to temptation, Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. Eve gave some of the fruit to Adam and he likewise, yielding to impulse, was tempted and ate of the fruit of the tree. Third, the world is an occasion of temptation. Adam and Eve were tempted by the forbidden fruit itself. The forbidden fruit is symbolic of the world with all its treasures, glory, pride, and pleasures. Satan tempted Jesus by offering him all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would only worship him. The Apostle John wrote, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John 2, 15-17 The first two human beings knew that it would be a sin against God if they should eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yet, because of the very fact that the tree stood there in the garden, it was an occasion of temptation to both Adam and Eve. These three, Satan, our own flesh, and the world with its transient glory, pleasures and pleasures and pride, are the three sources of temptation and sin. Satan came along and tempted Eve's mind in cleverly persuading Eve that she should put her confidence in God's word. By lies, Satan slandered God's good character and truthfulness. The tree itself became a source of temptation to Eve because God had strictly warned her against eating of his fruit. But the more she looked at the tree and its fruit, the more she wanted to, to eat the fruit. So her own feelings, her flesh, became a source of temptation to Eve. Here they are, Satan, the tree, the world, and all that is in it, and the flesh, working in unison to overcome Eve's will. I meant to say the three. Eve had to make a decision to obey or to disobey God. The moment Eve gave in to Satan and the desires of her flesh and yielded her will to the temptation, she committed sin. All of course, the same was true of Adam, who went through the same process of temptation and yielded his will to the desires of the flesh in a forbidden manner. Both obedience and disobedience concerned the free will. In the face of temptation, each person must decide for himself. Are you going to obey God or disobey God? That is the question. Adam and Eve deliberately chose to do what they knew was wrong and in violation of God's command. The source of Adam and Eve's disobedience was their unbelief. When they were tempted to sin, they did not put their trust in God. Instead, they listened to Satan's lies. Sin is the transgression of the law also. The biblical definition of sin is found in 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. We can only transgress the law of God through an act of the free will. Our first parents were tempted from without by Satan and by the desirable appearance of the fruit on the forbidden tree. But they were also tempted from within by their own fleshly desires. As long as they stood steadfast and refused to give in to these desires, they were without sin. But the moment they submitted their wills to the temptation, they committed sin. Sin is choosing one's own pleasure and interest in a manner prohibited by God. In a word, sin is selfishness. Sin is a selfish state of the heart that in unbelief puts its own selfish efforts before God and his laws. Sin is the spirit of self-seeking instead of seeking the glory of God. Sin is not just a mere act of the will, but it is a state of the mind. It is a state of mind that is not willing to obey God's word and chooses to be selfish. And the state of Adam and Eve's mind when they became sinners. First, they had a knowledge of right and wrong. They received this knowledge from God himself. They knew it was wrong to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God strictly forbade them from eating of the fruit of that particular tree. In order to be accountable for a crime person, in order to be accountable for a crime, a person must know the difference between right and wrong. 
For example, in a court of law, if a person has committed a crime, but it is proven that he was insane at the time he committed the crime, he cannot be treated as a criminal. The reason being that an insane person cannot differentiate between right and wrong and therefore does not know what he is doing. Such a person can be committed to an insane asylum, but not to a prison. Adam and Eve were accountable to God for what they did because they knew right from wrong. Second, Adam and Eve possessed ordinary human bodies capable of feelings and emotions. Their feelings could be aroused and tempted by looking at the forbidden tree and also by listening to Satan's persuasive language. Third, Adam and Eve possessed a free will. They had the power to say yes or no to make their own personal decisions in the time of temptation. They could not be forced to obey or disobey God. Adam and Eve of their own free will deliberately chose to disobey God. That is why God punished Adam and Eve after they sinned and banished them from the Garden of Eden. By one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. According to the word of God, all men have followed in the footsteps of Adam and Eve, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth death and sin. When it is finished, it brings forth death. James chapter 1 verse 14 and 15. The scriptures teach that the entire human race are sinners and under God's condemnation of death. And God saw that the wickedness of the entire human race are sinners and under God's condemnation of death. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of these, of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6, 5. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun that there is one event unto y'all, yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead, Ecclesiastes 9, 3. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it, Jeremiah seventeen nine. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, chapter 3. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Romans 8, 8, verse 7. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Ephesians 2, 3. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. Sin is inexcusable. The Bible teaches the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. There is no justifiable reason for being selfish and committing sin. Yet men are always ready to cover up their sins by making excuses. Some people speak as though sin is a necessary part of human nature and therefore a minor rather that may be overlooked. Such is not the case. Breaking God's commandments is not a small matter. God did not overlook Adam's and Eve's sin and he will not pass over ours. We have sinned against an infinite God and therefore the full extent of our sins cannot be measured. The penalty of sin is 
eternal death. Sin is not a virus or a disease that we would, could not avoid catching. Sin is not some kind of microbe located in our genes that has passed down through our ancestors from one generation to the next. Sin is a state of mind that is basically selfish and in rebellion against God. Paul explains sin as being a carnal mind. To be carnally minded means to set one's mind on being selfish and disobeying God's laws. For to be carnally minded is death. Romans chapter 8 verse 6. When Adam and Eve listened to Satan and decided to do Satan's will instead of God's will, they became carnally minded. To be carnally minded is to be there is to be selfish. Adam and Eve chose to be selfish and became God's enemies. This is the state of all sinners. The person who is selfish has set his mind against God to be God's enemy. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law, neither indeed can be. Romans 8, 7. Paul is saying that a selfish person is not obedient to God's law, and it is impossible for him to be obedient to God's law as long as he chooses to be selfish. Adam and Eve chose to be selfish and became God's enemies. It is the highest duty of every person to love, worship, honor, and obey God. It is God is our creator and the supreme ruler of the universe. Sin is inexcusable. There was no good excuse for Adam and Eve to disobey God by eating the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Listening to the lies of Satan was inexcusable. Their lack of confidence and trust in God was inexcusable. This can also be said of all the sins that we have committed in our lifetime. Selfishness is caused by unbelief and all men by nature stand before God without excuse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and 20. We cannot blame our sins on anybody but ourselves. We cannot lay the blame on our ancestors or our parents or on the society in which we live. The blame for sin lies with each individual person. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Ezekiel 18:20. When we put our trust in God, no one can force us to commit sin. Sin is not a necessity. Adam and Eve tried to make excuses for their sins, and that is what man has been doing ever since. When God asked Adam if he ate of the forbidden tree, Adam pointed his finger at Eve and put the blame on her. Indirectly, Adam blamed God by intimidating the Lord gave him the woman, who in turn caused him to sin. When God required an answer from Eve, she in turn blamed the serpent. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Human nature has not changed. People today, instead of confessing their sins, blame others for their own selfish and wicked deeds. Go to a prison and talk with the men behind bars. Invariably, invariably, you'll hear the same excuses as given by Adam and Eve. In early childhood, we learn the art of making excuses. Men always try to place the blame for disobedience on someone else. But the truth of the matter is that Adam and Eve, of their own voluntary will, 
chose to disobey God, which is likewise true of the entire human race. Human beings of their own free will disobey God, and there is no good excuse in all the world for the commission of sin. The biblical account of Adam and Eve's sin is likewise an account of every human being. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into all the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5.12 We have all personally sinned against God and broken his laws. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Isaiah 53.6 The entire human race is under condemnation of God. God said unto Adam, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Genesis 2.17 The teaching of the Old Testament is, The soul that sinneth it shall die. Ezekiel 18.4 The teaching of the New Testament is, The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 The basic reason for physical death is that man is a sinner, but physical death is not the end. Unless God provides a substitute and shows mercy to the sinner, he must suffer in hell forever. That's going to conclude our message for today, and next week we're going to pick up in the same fundamental doctrine teaching. And I just want to share a brief story. On November 18, 2010, Kristen and a girlfriend left the restaurant in her hometown in Jacksonville, Florida, after a gathering with other friends. It was about 8.30 in the evening, and her friend noticed that Kristen was driving erratically. As she admonished Kristen to pull over, Kristen told her that she felt numb on the side of her face. After getting the vehicle stopped, Kristen fell out of the vehicle into the roadway. As her friend with a passerby pulled Kristen from the roadway, they noticed that her eyes were open, but she was unresponsive. An emergency ambulance took her to a local hospital where doctors, with the help of a CAT scan, determined that she had a brain bleed. Kristen was then life-flighted to an excellent hospital at the University of Florida, where a neurosurgeon and his team were standing by to remove a tennis ball-sized clot from the left side of her brain. Even though everyone involved did everything they could to save Kristen's life, it was too late. Just four days later, at only 19 years old, Kristen passed away. Even though all who knew Kristen are saddened deeply by her death at such a tender young age, we are encouraged by the knowledge that earlier in her life, Kristen made a decision that allowed her to leave this world prepared. Kristen knew that one day she would be in the presence of the Holy God face to face. Little did she know how soon. Kristen, in the twinkling of an eye, was absent from the body and present with the Lord on November 22, 2010. Kristen was well thought of by everyone who knew her, but God says that it is not enough to be a good person. How do we know of a certainty that Kristen is in a better place? First, Kristen understood the problem. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.27. 23. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. Christian understood the remedy, that if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10.9. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved Romans ten thirteen. but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name why don't you make the decision that Christian made before it's too late for you this and you can pray to the Lord and ask him to have mercy on you right now but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you might have life through his name John chapter 20 verse 31
Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 5, 24. I pray that this message was a blessing to you this week on the fundamental um, doctrine of God. And I pray that you tune in again next week. Please share this episode with your friends and family and listen to it over and over. And please come back next week and bring your Bibles for Precious Pearls Ministry on the Resilient Christian Radio Network. You have a very blessed week. Talk to you soon. When you discover the kingdom, it is worth everything you have to give up because you gain eternity with the Lord, the creator of your soul. And without him, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How precious is a pearl. How precious a soul is to God. Thank you for listening to Precious Pearls Radio with Sister Dana Rankin. This broadcast is copyrighted by Precious Pearls Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.